Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. She's from California. She recently learned and fell in love with chess, and she loves true crime shows and movies. I, I love them too. Hello, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm so happy to have you in my show. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, of course. I was very excited because this is a, a subject I'm very passionate about, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, me too. I, I really like having these um, conversations with people from all over the world because it is a very interesting subject and mm -hmm. I just like to know, you know, what people's take on it is. But before we get into the child-free domain, I want to know a little bit more about you. So how is it that you recently learned and fell in love with chess? Was it somebody who introduced you to chess? How, how did it happen? It was all COVID's fault. Um, I was able to see my parents during it and be really, really safe. But my, you know, when I was, I did get furloughed, I was out of work for several months because of COVID. And so I just got to spend a lot of time with my parents, which was great. And my dad one day just sat me down and said, Hey, I'm going to teach you chess. And I honestly said, I don't think I'm going to get it. I don't think that it's, Because it just seems so intellectual, so smart. And not to say I'm not smart, but it just it seems intimidatingly intellectual. And so I just didn't think it was going to be for me. And then I started playing it, started learning the rules. I ended up downloading apps on my phone and playing it more and more and more and asking my dad, can, we, can I come play today? Can we play today? And it just became kind of an obsession. And it's just fun. It really is just you know, true chess prodigies might want to slap me for saying this, but it, it really is just a game. And so I think anyone can learn and anyone can have a really fun time with it. There is a lot of strategy involved though, right? Yes. I'm not sure how much I've gotten to that point. I've gotten to the point where I am really muscle memory as far as what each piece does, which can take a while. But as far as thinking 10 steps ahead, that's when I think you need a certain, a certain brain but it is still fun. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think I learned how to play chess when I was still a very young kid. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't play that much. Like I, 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 will, I would be lying if I said that I was like a good player. I don't, I know how the pieces move and I know more or less what the general concept of chess is. Um, but I was recently, uh, well, recently, this was also a few months ago, Um, did you watch the Queen's Gambit? Yes, I did. Okay. So I got really into that show. And after I finished watching it, I completely binged on it, to be honest. Um, I started playing chess again as well. And it is, it is fun, but yeah, you have to, I mean, I think it takes a certain kind of mind to be able to, see or foresee what your opponent is going to do yeah that's that's where my I mean maybe if I was 
trained or practiced in a certain way, but that's where my experience seems to stop no matter how much I play because I play a certain, I played one person, my dad, and I've gotten to the same level as him. And so that, that is what makes it fun is we're both kind of on the same level. So either person can win. If I had to play someone at the Queen's Gambit level, I would just be frustrated and want to flip <laughs> the board because I, I like to at least have a chance, but because I am quite a competitive person. But I will say I learned, I was taught chess before Queen's Gambit came out, just a little bit before, but it was that show that inspired us to go next level nerdy and get a chess clock and start to play for time. So that show did influence me in that way. I love that. Yeah. I mean, chess is, is fun. Yeah. But definitely, you know how, um, I don't know if you've, you know who Malcolm Gladwell is. Have you read any of his books? I have not. No. Well, he's a really good, he, I think he is a journalist and he's written a couple of books or a few books. And one of them is called The Outliers. And in that book, he says that in order for you to get like really good at something, you have to do the 10,000 hours. Right. So, <laughs> so you're on your way. <laughs> I haven't done the 10,000 hours, but I have spent more time on this app than I would care to admit. <laughs> you know, when you get really, I mean, when you find something that you really like, you just want to do it all day long. Right? Yeah, exactly. It, hap it happens. And, and so let's talk a little bit about true crime shows and movies, because I love those too. I'm like obsessed with ID, ID channel, is it called? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I can't, I can't. So I want to know when yeah. did this whole thing start for you? It started rather young, relatively. Um, I remember when I was, I kind of cringe about this today, but when my senior year of high school, um, we were supposed to do a presentation about what we want to be when we grow up. And I did a whole presentation about sort of criminal profiling and just being a detective sort of, I'm not sure if I had a specific title for it, but, and I talked a lot about Charles Manson and I got way too detailed and I think I freaked everyone out. I think people look back and think I'm that weird girl who talked about all these people getting murdered and sliced up and stuff like that. So I <laughs> was, uh, so that wasn't terribly young, but I, I do remember that the Charles Manson story is what got me really interested and yeah, just all those shows, Criminal Minds and all of that. And then, of course, the true crime stuff is because it's just fascinating that in a horrible, horrifying way that humanity is capable of such a thing, I think. So it's just fascinating. It totally is. I For me, it's about how twisted human mind can become in the end mm -hmm. because it's not only about the actual crime but then the person trying to like not get caught or if they get caught to like say oh, I didn't do it and I mean the whole thing is just for me it's yeah. fascinating and people are like you're fucking crazy but <laughs> it's fascinating it is and I remember when I was a kid I used to I used to read a lot of um Agatha Christie and mm -hmm. Stephen King so it was like the whole, you know, crime and, and investigation and, you know, with and solving murders with Agatha Christie. And then the whole, uh, how do you call it? Like with Stephen King, it was like the whole thing that's made up. I can't think of the word right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of like that macabre. Yeah. 
environment and, is really interesting. Yes, and I used to be, and and I think I, so I think I was the only kid in my class reading these types of books. Um, yeah. So I was also a weirdo, so I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm not alone. <laughs> You're certainly not alone. Yes. Um, and to this yeah. day, I really like, there's a, I don't know if you've watched Bailey Sarian on Facebook or Instagram. I think mm-hmm. she's, I don't know if she's on YouTube. She's child-free as well, too. Um, she does this vi- short videos and they're, she's, she, it's like true crime. So she actually tells a story about something uh, that happened like a true crime story while she does makeup on herself so it's oh. very it's really okay. interesting i've definitely seen like the front page of this but yeah. not watched it yet and now i need to because i i do enjoy makeup and i certainly love true crime <laughs> yeah it's very entertaining because she's never like she doesn't in in those videos where she talks about true crime she doesn't like talk about what products she's using like how she's, how she's applying it like she doesn't talk about makeup at all she's just doing her makeup and she's a really good makeup artist um and at the same Ooh. time she's talking about like really gory stuff and people killing each other and whatnot it's so much fun i love it and she's child free so oh even even better that's that's an interesting <laughs> i feel like it's tough or maybe it's just me but i feel like it's tough to think of something unique these days it's a combination of stuff that's everywhere, true, you know, the love of true crime and makeup, but it's different. I like that. Yeah. And yes, you're right. I also think that it's very tough to think about new things now. I think there, I was talking to somebody the other day and saying, if you don't find it on YouTube, it doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I think I saw a meme or something that said, I, I really don't know how to adult. I just ask Google a lot of things. <laughs> and- that is really me. I'm I'm a how-to, like a wiki how person. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And I don't know. I really don't know how people survive without it. Pure skill, I suppose. Um, I don't think anyone, I mean, I think everyone uses Google. I don't yeah. or or some sort of search engine. Uh I don't think anyone lives without internet. I mean, yes, there might be a couple of hermits somewhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um, in general terms, I think it's just everyone just relies so much on the internet. Now, that's why you can't believe everything that you see on the internet. Exactly. That's, that is 100% true. Yeah, there's so much crap going on there sometimes. Yeah. So I also know that you worked at a sports and entertainment arena before you, what you do now. You work for the government right now, right? Yeah, I'm working currently as a data analyst um, which is about as straightforward as it sounds, but I'm also going to school for and to study crime and intelligence analysis to be a crime analyst. Wow. So you're taking that passion about true crime to a whole different level. Exactly. Exactly. And something that once again, I know I already messaged you as a follow-up, but I should have included in my bio because I really do have a problem whenever it's an icebreaker of tell, you know, tell us a fun fact about yourself. I am the least interesting person that's ever lived. And then eventually I think of things, but yeah, this is, it's taken me a long time. I'm 28. I heard someone else on your podcast say that it took them a long time to figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. And that was definitely the case with me. I, it took me a long time to have a passion. And once I figured out you know, crime statistics related, I just smacked myself in the forehead and said, duh, 
you know, you're watching Criminal Minds every night, you're watching ID every night, you're watching this, and it just somehow, I don't know, I think, you know, growing up, people tell you, oh, you can be a cop or a lawyer or a doctor or um, a firefighter, but they never tell you all the other things you can be, like you can be a nurse instead of a doctor, or you can be a law clerk instead of a lawyer, or you can be an analyst instead of a cop or something like that. And so it took me a long time to figure out that those things even exist. And then once I did, I said, yep, that's, that's the one that's for me. That is so interesting. So I'm trying to know what will, what will your job entail after you finish what you're studying right now? It's, well, I can say that a lot of people think it's going to crime scenes. It's not. That's a crime scene analyst. A crime analyst or a crime and intelligence analyst tracks, uses data that we receive from officers and the public to track crime trends. So we're, we get very nerdy with Excel spreadsheets and maps and all of that. And we try and do some formulas and watch out for if there's an uptick in certain crimes or we start to see a cluster on a map of more of these crimes happening and it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes we can sometimes predict where a serial criminal might act next. That sounds super interesting. And, you know, it. I love what you said about, you know, that you love true crime and then now you're doing it like you're figuring out like some at some point it kind of like hit you right that was more or less mm -hmm. the expression it hit me and now I know this is what I want to do and it's just so true in the sense that there's so many people who grow up thinking that whatever they're passionate about because you also told me about Charles Manson when you were in was it high school or middle school when this happened mm -hmm. yeah um and and then so you at that time like you're very passionate about something and and some adults around you um they don't encourage that maybe out, just maybe it's just out of not knowing what type of career would actually like um take you to that path if you know mm -hmm. what i mean but sometimes it's like like you said you know um they would rather you be a doctor or a lawyer or an astronaut or, you know, you name it, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, those fancy career paths are, you know, fancy yeah. quote unquote. Um, but it's true that I feel that if you can find, and like I said, I mean, so I think kids nowadays are a little bit different um, because there's a lot of information, a lot of information mm -hmm. they can access, but in my time, I didn't have internet when I was very young and it was very, every, everything was very straightforward, right? So, but I never gave up on myself in the sense that I, I thought to myself, if this is something that I don't love, I'm going to find something. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, I feel that that's valuable in, in the sense that you don't just stick to the one thing that you decided to do, even if you realize that wasn't what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. Am I making exactly. any sense? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's this one TED talk. I'm forgetting her name. I think it's Emily something. And she talks about people who do sort of more than one. I think her episode was called what you, if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, a, co a couple of years ago, I said, yes, tell me, tell me what to do. And she was essentially advocating 
for people who, because she talks about that. She goes, from an early age, it's your Halloween costume when you're three because you say, oh, I want to be an astronaut or a teacher or a, a doctor. And that's just seems like the only options. And then it's only one option. But she gave a list of people who were multiple things that don't even go together, like someone who was a, you know, like a doctor, but then also made violins for people or two people who came together with completely different skill sets. Like one was very intellectual and type A and the other person was very creative and they ended up making, I think, like geocoded type of longitude, latitude type jewelry for when you travel or something like that. And just stuff that when people are able to expand their minds of this is kind of interesting or like, I really like travel, but I don't want to be a travel agent. I also like making jewelry or something like that. And just letting people explore their certain passions and maybe you can come up with something completely unique like we were talking about if you're just given that opportunity. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. Let's change gears a little bit now. Okay. You're a dog mom. Is that what you call yourself? Yes. How many dogs do you currently have? One. Uh, I know you had one that passed away right before Thanksgiving, was it? Yeah. So that that really was my my baby. Um, there's another one around, but that was the the one that was mine. I haven't come around to getting one that's my own, but yeah, that was that was my girl Izzy, and got her when I was 16. Went through a lot of life together, and I'm somewhat lucky enough to say that was one of the biggest losses that I've experienced yet. And so that was tough, especially amidst, you know, 2020 in general, it was was a tough one because, because you're a dog mom as well, right? Yeah, I have Euro and I can't picture my life without that dog. So yeah, there's this, there's this one podcast that, do you know, Crime Junkie? No. It's, uh, well, if you like true crime, it's a great podcast and she's obsessed with her dog as well to the point where when people ask her, will you get another one? She says, nope, the podcast is going to end. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, and it's just going to feel like the end of the world. And I, that's the, that's the kind of dog mom I am. So it's, it's tough. I wish, I wish they just lasted forever. Uh, me too. I remember I had, um, I had, a, I had cats when I was in high school because my mom wouldn't allow me to have dog, a dog. I, I always wanted a dog, but my mom was like, no, you're not going to have a dog because I'm going to be the one who's going to end up taking care of it. And maybe she was right. She was absolutely right, I think, especially high school. Yeah. So I had a cat um, because cats cats take care of themselves. <laughs> right. they're, they're different. I'm, to, I'm definitely a dog person, uh, but I don't mind cats. So I had a cat. Um, and I remember um, there was an accident. The cat passed away and it was really hard. It was very hard, even though... I wasn't as attached to that cat as I am to my dog nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember going to counseling for that. And the, the, the psychologist said to me um, that I needed to go through the, like mourn its death and go through that period of grieving before I decided to get another pet. 
because in the end it's a living thing, right? It's not like, it's not like losing, I don't know, a watch or a pair of earrings or something like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you definitely have to go through it. So I wanted to, just wanted to ask you briefly, um, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for asking. I'm, I'm a lot better now. So yeah, it happened in November. It was, yeah, definitely. It was the first thing in life that just had me curled up in the fetal position on the couch for about two days straight. And then now it's, and, you know, that grief feels like it's going to last forever, but then now is, is good. And I will see pictures of her and I kept her leash with her tags and I'll walk by it and I'll be like, Oh, you know, Izzy, I miss you. But it's only when I have a bad day and I'm, I come across my photos or something like that, or an old Instagram post with her. And that's, that's when I'll, I'll still cry about it to this day, you know, cause I, that's something that I've learned is that grief isn't linear and it, it'll kind of wrap back around and, and bite you sometimes, but uh, a lot better than it. Cause that the, once it, right when it happens, it feels like it's going to last forever. So I'm, I'm grateful to feel better. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and yeah, definitely grief is not linear. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you feel a lot stronger than other days. I I lost my grandmother a year and a half ago. Um, mm -hmm. And she was like a second mom to me. And that was like my first big loss, I would say. And sometimes like, I'm just like normal. And then out of a, like, out of nowhere, I just like, just remember her and then all this like sadness just washes over me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And um, well, uh, I know that time, I mean, you'll never forget about Izzy. She's always going to be in your heart. And I don't even want to think about when Euro has to live this uh, plane of existence. <laughs> That's just one of the things that I don't like imagine, even imagining, but it will, there will come a point in which, you know, they, they can't, they, I wish, like you said, I wish they would last forever, but they don't. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about your grandmother. That's, God, I'm sure, especially when it's like a second mom, that must be so hard. Yeah, thank you. But life goes on. And, um, you know, my grandmother was actually one of the people, one of the first people I told about my decision not to have children. And she was very supportive. She was like, why do you want to bring kids into this world anyway? Everything's fucked. This <laughs> 90-year-old <laughs> Mima. <laughs> so, and I know I, it's presumptuous of me and probably stereotypical of me to be surprised in the first place but especially someone from that generation to yeah. just be like yeah of course you know is such a, a lovely response to yeah get. totally I know she wasn't like any she wasn't like other grandmothers I can tell you that for sure she was not like any women I've met from her generation so but because I I mean yes it is a stereotype but at the same time stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason right yeah them for the truth they don't apply to everyone, but they are like, you, you want to generalize, pick one of those out. And um, right. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you about your experience. So I know you, you, you'd made the decision when you were in your 20s. So I want to know more about that. Yeah. So I, I can't remember the, the first time the thought crossed my mind that I may never have kids, but I just, I remember that of course, growing up, I used to say I wanted five kids because I just, I love having lots of people around me. And so 
I just, and, you know, I just thought, as we all know, that's just how it goes. It's little girls saying, you know, when I'm pregnant, when I have kids, blah, blah, blah. So it's just went with the flow. And then I, you know, in, in college and just after I still had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, as I like to say. And I just knew that I wanted to be, to establish my career first, not even first before kids, but just that was, that was my only focus. And then that took longer than expected. I had the jobs, but I've only just established, started to establish my career now. And so that's career and just family and friends have been my focus. But then in 2016, my first nephew was born because I have two older siblings and my first nephew was born and I loved him. I was obsessed with him. I wanted to see him all the time. He was so cute. And then, and he was the first nephew. So there's more, there's more of an obsession there if I have to admit it. And then I just noticed that when he would be old enough to, I mean, babies cry, but especially when he got old enough to start throwing kind of tantrums, that's when I really said, oh God, if I had to be, if I wasn't giving this kid back in an hour, I would feel very, very depressed. And I love him. I love him so much, but it just, it started, you know, I wasn't super gung-ho about kids for a long time. And then it took this having this constant kid in my life to, and I sort of helped raise him a little bit in his first year because my sister-in-law was able to go back to work. And so I got to be around him a lot. And yeah, it's just the, the crying when nothing helps or especially when they start throwing tantrums for seemingly no reason. I just, I felt it made me really evaluate kids for myself. And I said, if I had this, all the time for myself, I feel suffocated and I would feel depressed and I would feel like I was in a prison. And it just, I don't know if I, I think I made little comments definitely to my sister and some to my friends of just saying, I don't think I want kids. I don't think I want kids. And then I can't remember exactly, but I think probably a, a year or two ago is when I started posting stuff and started adamantly saying, I do not want kids. Um, I it used to, this sounds slightly terrible, but I used to say, I kind of wish before I knew about sterilization, I said, I wish I had like fertility problems. So then I could, before I was confident about it, I said, I, I hope I can't have kids because then that can be the reason and not just because I don't want them. And then, so that was, that was years and years ago. And then eventually it just became a really proud choice. And then I've even come to start looking into and reach out, reaching out to my doctor about sterilization. So it's been a process, but now, you know, it's, everyone knows it about me. I'm posting it on social media to try and reach out to anyone else, any other women out there or men who just have never had someone had to have them question, huh, maybe this isn't the path I've pictured myself 
for myself since I was five and just make, make them question for one second. Um, and that's not to, as we know, it's not to convince everyone not to have kids, but it's just to make the people who might be a little happier without them think that that's a possible life for themselves. Absolutely. And, and I love that because it's true. It's, it's raising awareness that having children is a choice, basically. Mm-hmm. Just to put it very, very simple, simply. Um, so I want to, so, okay, you're pursuing now voluntary sterilization or you're thinking about it? Yeah, I've actually been approved by my doctor. Yay. Oh my and God. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I actually, and I, you deal with tons of people, so I don't blame you for not remembering. I actually reached out to you and I was, cause even though I'm so sure about it, like I do not want kids. I don't want to even possibly get pregnant, but it's still really intimidating. I think just because it's surgery. Um, and so I remember I reached out to you on social media a, a while back and just said, you know, help a little bit, please. And you were so kind and resourceful because, yeah, you know, I just asked you, were you nervous too? Because, and you, you just said, I mean, it is an intimidating thing because we, as women, if we want to be permanent, it has to be surgery, I think. And so that was, that was very helpful because I, that nervousness made me question a little bit. It's like, well, shoot, I'm, I'm really nervous. Do I, is there a chance that I want kids? Is it, what is it? And then I pinpointed, I said, do I want kids? I said, absolutely not. No way, no way. And so I said, I think it's just, I wish it was, I think it's just the surgery aspect, which is not even intense surgery. I just, you know, going under is going under. And so I wish if it was a pill, I would go and get it tomorrow. And I'm still going to do it. I'm just kind of working up to it. I'm glad that I could be of, of help. Um, and thanks for reminding me because I do get a lot of people asking me about surgery. Since I'm so open about having had my tubes tied, mm-hmm. I do get a lot of people asking, especially when I celebrate my anniversaries. Um, yeah, I love the cake. <laughs> I had to have that cake. <laughs> Like nothing makes me happier now than to have made that decision. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I know that it's different for everyone in terms of what the experience is going to be of the actual surgery. Um, It's different for everyone because we all have different bodies and we react differently to anesthesia and other things. But in the end, um, I think that it was, for me, in my case, it was just such a big proof of self-love I would say for myself you know because I definitely know I don't want to have kids I don't want to risk it and one of the things I always tell people is it doesn't matter what your sexual partner is telling you it doesn't matter and they they can love you more than anything in the world I'm not putting that into like that's not even coming into this conversation there's a completely different topic mm-hmm. you have to be responsible for your own birth control like don't assume mm-hmm. that they're doing anything about it Okay, uh, especially if you don't want to have children. So because that's how exactly. that's how unwanted pregnancies happen, you know. Right. Uh, because no, I'm not taking the pill because we're using condoms or whatever, or vice versa. Guys like, oh, we're not. No, we don't use condoms because she's taking the pill. And you know, are you there when she takes the pill every single day? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. Sort of like. Or, thing that, 
you know, how many hookups happen where at the end, you know, the guy says, oh, you're on birth control, right? Oh my God. Yes. Time to ask. Yes. And, and, and how many times have women had to take the plan B pill? And I'm sorry, but dudes will never know how fucked up that is in the sense of just putting all those hormones into your body. It completely messes with your system. Any women will tell you it completely messes with it for at least a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. I was getting kind of fired up about this topic a few weeks ago. And I was just, because I, I have broached the topic of sterilization with my parents very briefly. And um, I just, I just told them, I said, I, I know that I don't want kids and why, you know, I currently have the IUD, uh, which, which has treated me pretty well. But um those people say, as they say, well, can you just continue being on birth control? I said, yeah, but why? If I, if I, if I know that I don't want kids at all, then why not remove, you know, just the way that people may not want to put junk food in their bodies or whatever. I mean, I still have a good donut, but so that was a bad analogy, but (laughs) I, you know, it's, it's unnecessary if there is a sort of organic way of keeping me not pregnant and child-free and why not go that route? And it's usually just because it's easier for other people to digest. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, you know, talking to your parents about this, how have they reacted to, you know, not only your decision to become child-free, but to the surgery? So the, just being child-free was kind of slow and steady because I've, I've just made comments over, over the, I was not, I was never much of a babysitter. I tried babysitting and I hated it. And then, you know, growing up and then I, I've just always made little jokes about, you know, when I, when I do give my niece and nephew back, I'll, I'll just say, Oh, thank God. I can't imagine having them all night and just stuff like that. And then cause I'm, I'm able to be pretty open with my parents. We have a pretty great relationship, but it's still something that I didn't want to necessarily just drop on them, but there were just little, little light comments, jokes, stuff like that, that I wasn't exactly the most, I don't want to say not maternal because I, I am great with my niece and nephews, but just that I wasn't dying for, to have a baby right away. And so then I started saying more like, I just, I don't think that I want to have kids and my mom and dad were saying, that's fine. That's fine. And then I have two older siblings and they both have kids. So that was probably helpful. So, you know, their grandparents that's taken care of and um, they genuinely just want what's best for us. Now, when I did kind of drop the sterilization on them because in sort of usual fashion for me. I'm I'm scared to bring something up. And then when I get really fired up when the topic is discussed and I just sort of out of indignation say, well, I'm doing this, you know, like you do when you're 16 years old. And um and so I they you know they weren't saying anything critical, but it just the topic was was had come up and I think something was said that just 
was not by them, but it was sort of a, oh, a lot of people change their minds sort of thing, but not directed at me. I, I can't quite remember how the conversation went, but um, I just remember feeling really indignant and like wanting to stand my ground and just saying, well, I'm going to be, have my tubes tied one day. And I think they kind of paused and I know that my mom said, oh, well, they, I don't think they would ever let you do it this young. And I said, well, actually, and at that point I'd already gotten approval from my doctor. And I said, well, actually I've already gotten approval from my doctor and I'm going into sign form soon. And I just think I, I threw it at them very quickly because I'm kind of bad at that stuff too. So I'm not sure I handled it in the best way, but it was out there. And they, I don't think we've discussed it much since because that conversation did happen while the COVID and the pandemic was going on, but it was months until I got the call that I was possibly going to have the, my surgery schedule and it hadn't come up again. And I did find myself a little nervous to ask for, you know, cause my mom's the type of person who, when you're sick, injured, anything, doesn't matter how old we get, she wants to be there for, for her children. And she'd normally be the one I'd say, Oh, I have a surgery coming up on this. Can you pick me up? Can you drive me home? Can you check in on me? And I just remember thinking, oh, maybe I'll get the call soon for the, to schedule the surgery. And it made me very anxious. And I was trying to evaluate that anxiety and saying like, what am I anxious about? Because I know I don't want kids. So that's not the problem. Like, yeah, going under having very minimally invasive surgery, but still surgery. Yeah. That, you know, that's a little nerve wracking, but I think that as confident and opinionated as I am, there's still an element of not wanting to be too loud. I think, you know, I think there's a part of me as ashamed I might be to say it. There's a part of me that doesn't want the, the eye roll, not necessarily that they do it, but just a fear of the eye roll of like, oh, of course, you know, the, the feminist is talking about no, no kids again or blah, blah, which my parents would never say that. But, you know, it's just just having that fear of in inconveniencing someone for a belief that they may not have, if that makes any sense. And so talking to someone who may not agree with what I'm doing to then in, you know, quote, inconvenience them to then pick me up and take care of me. Um, I think gave me a little insecurity, but usually with that stuff, I quickly hoist myself up again and say, what? the fuck is wrong with you? Because like, there's nothing wrong with wanting no kids, stand your ground. Cause I do love being somewhat of a trendsetter. It's just not always easy. You know, I don't feel like, I don't know about you, but I, there are some days when I'm just exhausted or it was a bad day, which I just, I just don't feel like fighting that day, you know, with people on social media or family or friends or whatever. And so it just, I think that that day was just a bad day. And then literally later that day or the next day, I was back on the, nope, I'm going to get this thing done. I'm just going to, if someone doesn't want to do it for whatever reasons, then I'll ask somebody else to drive me home and just remember that I, not every woman gets a chance to do this. So I'm going to do it for me, but I'm also going to 
have confidence about it for them. I completely understand. And I can totally relate to you to, you know, that part that sometimes comes afloat, you know, that you don't, you feel like you're kind of like, quote unquote, rubbing, rubbing it on people's faces in a way, but you're Mm -hmm. not, you know, you're just, this is the thing about the way that we have been all conditioned in this society to think that everyone needs to have children and how the social pressure and just like the social etiquette in general just weighs so much on people that Mm -hmm. even just mentioning that we're child-free or we don't want to have a kid or we want to have bone terrorist sterilization surgery sometimes it can feel like we're yeah we're kind of like rubbing it on people's faces in a way kind of like yeah I'm going to do this so what and it's not really that and I've always found myself asking um, well myself and other people Why is it that people can say anything they want about pregnancies and having Mm -hmm. babies and anything goes, anything at all? I was talking to Lenora the other day about, um, she was like, I don't understand how parents have the need to put pictures of like dirty diapers on social media. I was like, does that happen? I'm so happy. I just, every time I see someone posting pictures of a newborn, I'm like, unfollow I love you, but I'm, I don't, I'm not interested. Um, right. I've never seen like somebody in my, like my friends or people that I follow online posting pictures with dirty diapers. Um, so like I said, anything goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you're child free, you're like, I don't want to have kids and I want to have voluntary civilization surgery. And you feel like the whole world is just trying to like bite your head off or something. Yeah, exactly. Because right. so, so many people get defensive that you're trying to tell them that having kids is terrible and you know some child-free people may feel that way but I think a lot of us just say just let me enjoy my choice because both are choices and so it's but that's exactly it's societal you know pressure that even in if you knew me in life you would know I'm I am quite loud opinionated I talk a lot and yet I, so I, I get, you know, slightly ashamed when even I say, oh, you know, I, I forgot that I already told that person was, I was child-free and now I'm bringing it up again. And, you know, it just, yeah, it does feel like, because it's funny how in-depth people can talk about pregnancy online and always posting about their bellies and um, saying, you know, sometimes even saying we're trying to get pregnant, which is funny because that's basically just telling the entire social media that you're having sex, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, and then one post about, you know, girls don't always have to have kids or something like that. It just seems like another feminist diatribe kind of. And so it's, yeah, that's that's something that I'm trying to work on is I'm I'm proudly and loudly child-free, but... I am trying to work on the small insecure part of me that keeps me from being louder and prouder. I love that you're working on it and you're not alone for sure. I can tell you you're not alone. There's a lot of people that don't even voice it. They don't even tell anyone like here, let me tell you a secret. They don't even want to say it out loud. Um, So yeah. So that's, those are completely like different situations. Um, so I, you know, just the fact that, you know, you want, you're proud and you like want to be louder about it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I get what you're saying about those people. Cause those are the people who, and 
I totally support just working within your own comfortability. Um, but those are the, yeah, those are the people who are saying, oh, I just, I just don't want kids yet. Or, yeah. um, or those are the people who might use the, the lie of, oh, I can't have kids. And if that's what you need to do for your own, maybe safety or mental safety, then, then go for it. But yeah, I think the more women who are able to say, this is my choice and I'm really, really fucking excited about it, the better. Absolutely. We need to normalize the shit out of being child-free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my next step post-COVID. I mean, I have these podcasts to listen to, which, oh my gosh, when I found child-free girls, I have never felt so seen. It was amazing. And then finding the Instagram pages was great. I don't have Facebook anymore, so I feel like I missed that interaction. Um, but that's my goal post-COVID is to find some local I mean, I'd love to have international friends like you to Zoom with, but to find some local girls to meet up with, because I have like one more acquaintance than friend who are two acquaintances who are child-free women, don't kids. But other than that, it's just people around me who are, I'm very lucky. I have very supportive people who either completely support me or just don't tell me they're judgments and sometimes that's all you can ask for and so I'm very lucky but I, I want that community that can meet up on a Tuesday night because they don't have kids yeah and I know that that is the wish of many 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 more child-free people out there so yeah. it's certainly something that you're going to be able to make happen um well Shannon it's been such a pleasure to have you on my podcast thank you so much for coming unfortunately I'm running out of time so before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to your interview? Anything at all? Um, I think I would just like to add to any women finding these podcasts, this podcast, who are just on the fence or aren't sure, explore your any anxiety you have or any second thoughts, explore them and explore that because it, it can take a while weeks and months or years to get out of the social conditioning of I have to have kids if I don't have kids I'm going to lose these people in my life because most likely depending on your surroundings you probably won't um, at least not everybody and it, it can take a while to get out of that fear and it seems like an exhausting journey but if just explore that being child-free might work better for you and so yeah any anxiety around having kids might be more than just, oh, birth is scary or kids can cry sometimes, but maybe that anxiety is that you just don't want them at all. So just explore that. Thank you so much. And with those parting words, uh, firecrackers, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much again, Shannon, for being here. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>